The phrase mighty works grabs my attention because I want God to do mighty works in my life. Somebody agree with that? Say amen. All right. The phrase many mighty works really intrigues me because the only thing that could possibly be better than God doing mighty works would be for God to do many mighty works. But Matthew 13, verse number 58, adds one more word that lets all the air out of my balloon. It says, mighty works. It says, many mighty works. But then it adds the word, not. Not many mighty works. Well, that changes everything. This story of what happened in Nazareth is sometimes presented as why you can never be used of God in your hometown, but I don't think that's what it's about at all. The story of what happened here in Nazareth is about what happens when you and I are crippled by unbelief. Now, just... If you're not familiar with the story, even if you are, let's review it together. Jesus is going through the region of Galilee. Region. That would be similar to saying he's going through, if you live in Connecticut, going through Fairfield County. If you live in New York, some of you live in Westchester, some of you live in Putnam, some of you live in Dutchess, some of you, uh, good grief, what county do you live in, uh, Brother Corky? Orange County, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's out there. Um, so imagine Jesus is going, and of course we think in cars and buses and trains, and Jesus, of course, is traveling on foot. He's going throughout the region, and he's going village to village. He's going throughout the region where he grew up. So he's going throughout the county, town to town. And we have a hard time picturing a a place where everybody just lived in their town and that's where they stayed. How many of you have been outside the town where you live sometime this week? Every single hand just about is up. You live in one town, you you go to the store in another. You live in one How many of you you don't even live in the town that you're in in church right now? Raise your hand. You, you don't live in Danbury. Okay, that's, that's a, a, a large majority. So we can't even comprehend you, you live in this little town. You do all of your shopping in this little town. Of course, they didn't do a lot of shopping, but they, they went, they drew their water from the well that was in the central part of town. They traded in this town. They worshiped in this town. Everything they did was in this town. When somebody came in from outside of town, all eyes were on them. That was an unusual thing. So Jesus is going from town to town. And he comes into town, and he always, got, he always has a large group of people. He's in this region of Galilee, and this large group of people is with him. And he comes to one town, they say, who is that? Oh, that's... Jesus Christ, the great teacher. He goes to another town. Who is, who is that? Oh, that's, that's Jesus Christ. He's that great healer. He goes to the next town and 
Who is that? Oh, that's Jesus Christ. They, they call him, some say, and the, the word Christ means anointed of God. The, they, call, they say he's the Messiah. He goes to the next town. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. He's that preacher that has gone over all of Israel and amazing. And then the next town that he comes to is the town where he grew up, the town of Nazareth. One more little town. And everybody looks up from their work and sticks their head outside their house and says, Who is that? Oh, that's that kid Jesus who grew up down the street. That's, you remember, you know, Mary and Joseph and all their kids and and Joseph down there, you know, working with the wood and stuff. That that was their kid. And he went off and, you know, he's making a big stink and stuff around the, but that's just him coming back home. You remember him? Oh, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, remember him? Yeah. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor save in his own country. And the Bible says that he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The difference between many mighty works and not many mighty works is the difference between faith and unbelief. Let's look at Jesus' visit to his hometown and let's see the difference between faith and unbelief. By the way, let me stop here and just ask you, probe your heart. I don't think this is a hard question. How many of you would rather see many mighty works of God than to see not many mighty works of God. How many would rather see many mighty works of God in your life? Yeah, we all would, absolutely. Well, the difference between many mighty works of God and not many mighty works of God is the difference between faith and unbelief. So let's see the difference. We can better understand what faith is by observing what the people of Nazareth did not do. Okay? The contrast between unbelief and faith is found in looking at what the people of Nazareth should have done and could have done but didn't do. I'm going to give you seven thoughts about this, and they're going to go quickly. First of all, when unbelief observes the mighty works of God, it demands a physical explanation. How how did that happen? Now, by the way, sometimes unbelief demands the explanation before the answer comes. In other words, we don't pray for things that we can't figure out how we're going to get the answer. How many of you would plead guilty to that? I have to plead guilty to that. If I can't see how that will work, I'm not going to bother to pray for it. And that's unbelief. It is us demanding a physical explanation, and if we don't see it, we're not going to pray for it. Now, by the way, 
if you can see a physical explanation, how is that faith? Oh, well, I mean, it would work, you know, it, was, it, would, uh, it would work if I were to, if I were to um, you know, win the lottery and, uh, and get that going, then that would change everything. So all I got to do is pray to win the lottery. No. You need to pray for God to meet your needs and let him figure out. And by the way, he's going to meet your needs without you playing the lottery. But you need to pray for God to meet your needs and let him show you the way. So when unbelief observes the mighty works of God, which the people of Nazareth did, when unbelief observes the mighty works of God, it demands a physical explanation. But when faith observes the mighty works of God, it automatically attributes them to God. Look at verse 54. When he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. Insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom in these mighty works? So they knew he had great wisdom. They knew he had done mighty works. That wasn't the question. <laughs> they didn't doubt his mighty works or his wisdom. But because they couldn't figure out how he got it, they decided not to believe in him. Second difference between faith and unbelief. Unbelief uses knowledge as a weapon against God. You ever heard somebody say this? Well, I'm too educated to believe in God. Let me tell you something, bud. There are millions of people far more educated than you are that do believe in God. So your education doesn't have anything to do with it. The problem is not your education. The problem is your unbelief. Unbelief uses knowledge as a weapon against God. Faith uses knowledge as an instrument to glorify God. See, don't, don't miss the difference here. The people in Galilee who were not of Nazareth didn't know exactly where Jesus came from. They knew how he grew up in, in Nazareth, I think, and that's all they knew. But they didn't know the details of where he came from. The people of Nazareth, they knew his family members' names. They knew his history. I mean, they knew his favorite flavor of ice cream. They had seen him grown up, and they used that knowledge as a weapon to discount everything he did. They never saw him do anything wrong. That was not the issue. The issue was, well, we know where he came from. So what? But the difference is unbelief uses knowledge as a weapon against God. You know what it's like? It's like these um, folks that they take events that happened in the Bible and they try to explain them scientifically. And when they think they have successfully explained them scientifically, well, here's why the Red Sea parted. It just so happened that on that day there was a, a shift in the plates in the and and let's suppose that that explanation is accurate. It still doesn't mean that God didn't do it. Do you know when God does something, 
he leaves a fingerprint. Or, or let's use the modern, he leaves a footprint, all right? It's not a carbon footprint, it's just a God's footprint. When God does a spiritual work, it leaves a physical footprint. So just because you can examine the footprint and explain the footprint doesn't mean it's not God's footprint. But what we, oh, as soon as we think, oh, well, I see what happened here. This wasn't God. This was a, a, uh, a, a, I'm looking for a word. I can't find it. So let's move on. Uh, It's a scientific word. I'll think of it this afternoon while we're eating lunch. (laughs) But they think they've found some, oh, I can explain this physically. Therefore, God didn't do it. No, if God said he did it, he did it. And he left fingerprints and he left footprints. But those footprints don't explain away why it's a physical thing and not a God thing. Unbelief uses knowledge as a weapon against God. Faith uses knowledge as an instrument to glorify God. I'll give you a third difference. <clears throat> Unbelief sees God as a foreigner, an outsider, an intruder. Look at verse 56. After he names brother, sister, mother, are they not all, say the next two words with me, with us. His mother and father, they're one of us. His brothers, they're one of us. His sisters, they're of us. Him, he's one of them. Unbelief sees God as a foreigner. Like these folks that say, God has no business in our government. Well, you wouldn't have a government if it wasn't for God. God has no business in our school. You wouldn't have a school if it wasn't for God. But unbelief always sees God as a foreigner, an outsider, faith sees God as the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer of everything. Number four, while unbelief holds the mysteries of life as reasons to reject God's authority, faith credits the mysteries of life to God's authority. Look at verse 56. Whence then hath this man... All these things. They couldn't figure out, and it is a mystery, by the way. How is it that his brothers and sisters can't do miracles? How is it that his mother, she doesn't have a degree from Harvard. His father's a woodworker. So how is he doing all these miracles and how is he going to all these towns and how is... It was a mystery. But the answer to the mystery is one word, God. God did this. 
But unbelief holds the mysteries of life as reasons to reject God's authorities. There are a lot of mysteries in life, a lot of mysteries in life. The difference between whether you have unbelief or whether you have faith is whether you credit those mysteries to God's authority or you use those mysteries as a reason to reject God's authority. Yeah, I can't figure out why yada, 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 yada. So I just don't believe in God. I can't believe in a God who would do. (laughs) You can't figure out the mysteries of life so you use them as a reason to reject God, and that's unbelief. But faith credits the mysteries of life to God's authority. By the way, unbelief, listen, is not the lack of belief in God. Unbelief is the refusal to believe God. What's the difference? The lack of belief, that's sort of passive. Okay? If I can't do something, Say somebody, you know, Miss Catherine goes to a teenager and says, you want to sing in a teen choir? Oh, I can't sing. Well, let's try, okay? Amazing grace. You know what? You're right. You can't. Now, she may still say you're welcome to, but (laughs) you're right. You can't sing. That's a person who can't sing, but she goes to somebody else and says, boy, I sure would love to have you sing in a teen choir. And they say, I, I refuse to. Yeah, but I want you to. I, ref- I will not. Okay. One of those, you can't really blame them if they say, I, I can't sing. But the other one says, no, I don't want to. Well, that's refusal. That's rejection. Unbelief is not, you know what, I've tried and tried to believe God because nobody can say that. Because God has given the measure of faith to all men. Nobody can say, I can't believe God. All unbelief, don't forget this, Christian, even if you're saved, all unbelief is not just failure, it is refusal to believe God. Number five, unbelief always finds a way to be offended by God's work. Look at verse 57. And they were offended in him. Unbelief always finds a way to be offended by God's work. Faith always finds a way to believe in God's work. They were offended. They were, what? I just, I almost want to laugh at these people. Part of me wants to smack them in the head. Part of me wants to just laugh at them. You're offended. he, he grew up right here in town, and his mom, she's just a homemaker, and his dad, he's a carpenter, and his brothers and sisters, they're nothing to speak of, and he's going around healing people and raising the dead, and he's this genius with all this wisdom. I'm offended. <laughs> Unbelief always finds a way to be offended by God's work. Faith always finds a way to believe in God's work. We have folks in American Christianity, they are professional offendees. They just, they go from church to church to church, finding a reason to be offended. I don't even know why they keep going to church, finding another reason to be offended. You list for them 10 churches where they live, and they can tell you why that church has offended them. 
people aren't friendly there, and, you know, the pastor, he's, he's, uh, he doesn't comb his hair there, and, I mean, they just find a reason to be offended everywhere. Here's the crazy thing. I know Christians who have been hurt again, literally. How many pastors have you had in your lifetime? Nine? How many of them are out of the ministry because before, while they were in the ministry, they committed adultery? Four out of nine. She has a reason to be offended at God. If she's living in unbelief, but she's not. Why? Because faith always believes in God's work. Number six. Unbelief cannot see the hand of God at work right before its eyes. Hey, if you don't see the Son of God standing right in front of you, you won't accept anything else. And that's the reason. Why should Jesus, and by the way, he did do some mighty works there because it says he did not many. He helped a few people. He healed a few people. There, There was some faith there, but he did not many. Why should Jesus go up to somebody and, and they, you know, oh, you're your mar- marriage kid. Oh, I remember you. You're the kid that always used to play out in the street when you were little. Ah, I remember you. You're, you're, they say you're big time. You're not big time. You're just Mary's kid. Um, you know, my wife is sick, but you probably can't help her. You say, well, Jesus should have had mercy. The Bible never says it happened that way, but Jesus should have had mercy and helped them anyway. Wait a minute. If you don't recognize that it's the Son of God standing right in front of you, even if he healed your sick wife, you wouldn't recognize that either. You know what that dude would have said? Well, look at there. My wife gets it just my wife gets better on the day that Mary's son shows up and he wants to take all the credit. That's exactly what he'd say. So why should God do any more for you? Can, can I ask a question? Those of you who have prayed, and I have prayed. I'm, I'm not obsessed over it. I'm not going to lose confidence in God over it, but I have prayed, and I think many of you have too. God, that woman cannot get in the White House. Did you give God the glory when the news broke on Friday? Now, that's not the final news. I know there's, we still have, what, nine more days to go. We were, we were driving. We had just been through D.C. We were driving through Virginia. We were listening to the radio when the, when the news broke. And it was one of those surreal, did he just say that? Is, that? is he just, is that exaggeration or did he really just say that? That the re, the FBI is reopening this, this investigation and that didn't turn out to be exactly what was happening, but that's the way it was first reported. Just absolute, this just it never happens. Was your first response when you heard, or have you since then, if you have prayed about this at all, praise the Lord. Even, it doesn't mean that the outcome, doesn't mean that the outcome has been determined or what it is, but just to see that something so uncanny should happen just feels like God's still in this thing. Thank you, Lord, that you're, you're still in this thing. 
Can I tell you, no matter what the outcome of this, this landmark election is, if God's in it, I'm okay with the result. Oh, pastor, sound like you're wavering there. No, I'm not wavering on God. I want the result that God wants, and I'm not smart enough to know what that is. But if you don't thank God when the answer comes for what you've already prayed, well, you know, I don't know that that answer necessarily came from God. Well, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. You're not going to give God too much praise, I promise you that. Why are we afraid of overthanking God? Oh, I gave God glory for something where he just does not deserve it. No. Unbelief can, cannot see the hand of God at work right before its eyes. Listen, Jesus Christ is the greatest work of God in all of history. And he's standing right there in front of them. And his next-door neighbors are going, I just can't see it. Unbelief cannot see the hand of God at work right before its eyes. Faith sees the hand of God at work in everything. Number seven, this is it, and we're about done. Unbelief is never ready, never hungry, never prepared to receive the mighty works of God. Faith desires the mighty works of God, is prepared for the mighty works of God, expects the mighty works of God, and will give God the glory whenever it sees the mighty works of God. See, listen carefully. It's not, well, there's not enough energy here, so we can't do anything. No, that's not what faith is about. By the way, don't, don't get mixed up using the word karma. That's a humanistic, that's a new age word. And just because it's common for people, you know, it's amazing how people who absolutely will not acknowledge the presence of God, they'll say, well, they've just got some good karma over there. Don't get, don't get caught up using that word. It's not a good word. It's not a good concept. It's not about, and sometimes we look at this text as if there, there wasn't enough spiritual karma there for Jesus to, that's not it. It was that the people don't expect the mighty work of God. They don't recognize the works of God when they see them, and when they happen, they won't attribute them to God. Do you give God the glory when he works? The mighty works of God are wasted on people who refuse to recognize the works of God that they've already seen. Now, the good news is this, and we're we're done. Anybody can choose to move from unbelief to faith. In Jesus' wording, you look at his statement that a prophet is not without honor save in his own country. He's not saying it has to be this way. He's saying it tends to be this way. Or if it's going to be this way, this is when and where it's going to happen. Jesus said, he didn't say a prophet can never do great things in his hometown. He said if, he's go- if a preacher, if a man of God is going to see unbelief in people, it's likely to happen in his hometown because they use their knowledge as an obstacle to believing. The Bible says that Jesus' own family was caught in unbelief. You read the book of John, there was a time when his own brothers didn't even believe in him. But later, they did. And one of his 
brothers slash, I believe it's, it's, it's a cousin. Brother is a broad term in the Bible. If you, do, if you follow the, the uh, family tree there, it's his cousin. James becomes a disciple. James the less, they called him. And he becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and the writer of the book of James that we're studying on Wednesday nights. But when he was young, he didn't believe in Jesus. So it is possible to change from unbelief to faith. Say, okay, I want to make the change. If you want to make the switch, and I'm talking to Christians now, if you want to make the switch from unbelief to faith, you can begin by going back through your life, identifying the mighty works of God in your life, and giving God the glory for them. My wife and I do this from time to time. Of course, it is amazing. A kid from New York, a girl from Alabama, that they should be God's perfect will for each other. But the further you go into each of our histories, you know, there's no reason that our parents should have been together. Amy has a grandmother who ran off a great-grandmother, ancestor, who ran off with a Cherokee Indian. Broke her mother's heart, her parents' heart. And this is, I don't know, that's got to be 100 years ago or so. That's just one little snippet. There's, There's unbelievable stories in both of our family trees and how that led to us meeting. And, and choosing each other and marrying each other. And when we look at that, every step of the way, God gets the glory. I, I want to make sure God gets the glory. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for bringing my great-grandfather to America in the late 1800s. Thank you for right on down the line. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you, Lord, for doing Hey, Lord, thank you for not doing that when it would have seemed like the best thing to do. Thank you for working in that way in spite of someone's failure to put all the pieces together. You say, what, you think everybody, all your ancestors' life, it's all about you? No, I believe that everything about my life and everything about your life, it's the grace of God that brought it all together for you to be sitting under the sound of the Word of God today. And you go back and you trace it. That's why it's a good idea to know your, your heritage. It's a good idea to sit down with your parents, your grandparents, and, and as many relatives as you can. And you say, tell me, tell me about my grandparents. Tell me about my great-grandparents that I never met, never met. Tell me where they came from. Tell me how they got here. Tell me how they met each other. Because every step of the way, you, and it'll click with you. Wait a minute. If, if they never did that... This never happens, and this never happens, and this never happens, and I'm never born or I never get saved. If you want to move from unbelief to belief, start going through your history and your life. Can I say this? If Amy's dad never leaves and breaks her heart when she's nine years old, I never meet Amy. All four, she and her... 
the two brothers and her sister have all gone to the same Bible college and graduated. If her dad doesn't leave when she's nine, she's in a completely different crowd that would go, if they went to Bible college at all, which they probably would have, it would have been completely different schools. Brother Hayes had no connection to Hiles Anderson College and his churches had no connection. Her life is very different. And she doesn't go to Hiles Anderson College and meet the man of her dreams. <laughs> it doesn't hurt me that they're laughing, but the fact that you're laughing. <laughs> I say to you, you want to move from unbelief to faith as much as you can. I've heard preachers preach before that you should go back through your life and think of unconfessed sins and confess them, and that's, that's probably true. But let me tell you, you ought to go through the events of your life and things you've never given God glory for or stop accrediting everything to luck and chance and fate and destiny and give God the glory. And let God move you from unbelief to faith. Father, I pray that we would not be guilty of what they were guilty of in Nazareth. They knew your story there in town there. They knew your family. They'd never seen you do anything wrong. They had nothing to accuse you of. You were not the kid that stole the candy from the store. You were not the kid that stole apples off, some, off the neighbor's tree. They had nothing to accuse you of. But just because they knew your story, that gave them a reason to discount your greatness and your deity. Lord, may we not be crippled by unbelief, but may we believe you and therefore see the mighty works of God. In our lives, I pray. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment if you will.